to ask you to be my tag team partner permanently. And commitment is a very special thing. It doesn't matter if it lasts 50 years or three minutes. Wait a minute. What? Did I just hear myself say three minutes? This is for my number one. This is for my number one. Yeah, this is for my number one. To love you better, baby. This is hard to say. I wanna make sure I go about this in the right way. Cause lately I've been busy a lot. And I know you don't feel appreciated and whatnot. I used to tell you that your hair looked fly. Kiss you slow and stare in your eyes. Now I talk real foul and slick. Every other sentence is you make me sick. Back in the days I was your number one pick. Now your heart's half broken and that's hard to fix. I had to dig deep inside myself Cause I can't see you bouncing with somebody else It's a long journey back to the place we was When I was too embarrassed to admit I was in love And you was my good girl that wouldn't give it up I can't let her self-destruct uh -uh. Baby, smile today Cause I've been imagining always I'm gonna love you better Welcome back, everybody, to episode five of the Draft Diaries. I'm, of course, Meals, and I am here with my man to the right of me. Where is the left of me? I don't know. Whatever. It depends. Um, left, my right? Yeah, one of us. You know, the balance. Um, representing the war report. Quan himself. Quan, what is good, bro? The hair is flourishing, my friend. Man, look. I'll, I'll be I'll be at J five status. Give me like uh, give me like two years, two years. But yeah, um, fast is ridiculous. Like you know oh. how long I've had this hair. <laughs> you know what's crazy too, bro? Like everybody in my family is losing their hair. So in like my grandpa, rest in peace. He like lost his hair like thirty five. So I'm trying to like maintain what I can get now because I know it's coming. It's coming soon. So I'm just kind of let me let me embrace this hair while I got it at this point. It's coming for me. I'm almost there. Um, but nonetheless, we are not here to talk about male patterning baldness. Um, <laughs> we are here to talk about the year 2002. Now we had you on the XA Diary, so you're not you know I don't got to go into your 2002. You were 12 or turning 12. I was 12. We're both the same year, same age, all the other stuff like that. Um, but 2002 
when I think of that year and kind of like, first of all, I miss, if I could just go back, if you had a time machine and you could go back in 2002 for one day, would you do it as an adult? Absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> That'd be so much fun. I mean, bro, I feel like night you wear, was- You wear a throwback jersey to the club. Bro, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you better. Like, music was better. I, everything is cheaper. I would bring back stuff from 2002 because there's probably still MSG and Chinese food and all types of other yeah. shit that makes it good, taste good. Dollar <sighs> menu, so like you know, the double cheeseburger at McDonald's was like actually a dollar. You know how much a double cheeseburger is? About that last episode. We, that's so crazy. You? <laughs> you haven't seen it, but um. We talked about the dollar menu. We actually talked about a lot of food options from 2002, the last episode. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode with J5 and Novak. Um, but 2002 was such a great time, but also a great time for television in general. Reality TV, booming. Um, or actually, you know what? I want to say it's in its it's still in, a, in its modern infancy. I think reality TV pre-2002, and we're going to talk about a big, I think, inflection point in reality TV um this episode but reality tv i want to say prior to 2002 i think so much is it like documentary where you know capturing the lives of people doing as they do and i think the appeal was it that people had these problems and you know but talk about race sex religion all types of other stuff like that um it's about to change and it, yeah. it, it's about to change. And we're still, I, I say we're still in its infancy because popping on, you know, reality TV right now in 2002, the highest rated television show on MTV, I believe, is The Osbournes. Now, did you ever watch The Osbournes? Absolutely. I watched The Osbournes. I had no idea who Ozzy Osbourne was, what his, <laughs> his catalog was. I just knew the show was funny. It's a crazy old man. He's funny. He mumbles and he, you know, you don't understand what he's saying at the time. And I loved it. Loved all of it. You know, you know what's so crazy? I feel like we I feel like in today's era, it will be hard to discover a show like the Osborne's because there's so much reality TV out there. There's so much stuff out there. And it's like, oh, yeah. another celebrity reality television show like the Bellas or uh, like we've reached that tier. No offense to the Bellas, but like, who cares? But <laughs> <laughs> but um they were kind of like the first celeb reality tv kind of experiment that really really popped off and i think one of the aspects of why people got so entrenched with it was that mtv used to do marathons like every weekend for Absolutely. show yes and they used to show every episode of the real world up to whatever point that they were showing you know if there was a new if it was episode 11 on monday sunday we're going through episode one through ten you catch um, right up absolutely you could spend the entire day at home doing whatever you want to do catching up to reality television shows and they would do the same thing for the osbournes and i'm pretty sure that's how i discovered the osbournes because i knew i wasn't tuned in on the premiere because why the fuck yeah. would i but when they would show it over and over again and it was on pretty much it was being talked about on every other news cycle of like Ozzy being like and like you know like trying to figure out his life being super old his kids cussing all types of other stuff like that man that kind of started the boom I mean also in 2002 making the band to another uh, I would say if, if there's a if there's a model for what VH1 is, 
it's making yeah. the band new of niggas you know on television nigga things <laughs> you know what's crazy now that you mentioned that too i know it's a little bit later like i think it's a year later but if you ever do a 2003 diaries or whatever um the newlyweds that was another show i probably never would have watched it if it kind of you know didn't you know jessica simpson and nick lachey show like i wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for like you know maybe those those stupid little um yeah marathons that we have. and also you speak of um like kind of what birth modern vh1 reality shows like love of hip-hop you know a little bit later i think i believe 2002 2003 ish is when we get surreal life and you know surreal life birth mm-hmm. um what is it flavor flavor and brigitte nielsen whatever their show was and that birth flavor of love and that birth love of ray j uh i love new york and that burst love and hip-hop and then we get cardi b like just like the domino effect of how what that took us from from surreal life to like cardi b is like you know it's insane like how integral these reality shows were to pop culture and where they've gotten to us now it's it's really like mind-blowing you really think about like the, the, the iceberg of these reality shows i'm glad you said that because you're i would never piece to real life all the way to cardi b but you're absolutely correct um That's crazy right we have an inflection point here in reality TV, and it's from a show that's already pretty re- revolutionary in its own right. It is the real world, but not just any season of the real world. Not real world Paris, not real world Chicago. Shout out to Anissa though, still on television like 20 years later. Um, real world Las Vegas is the show that sets the mold for not only real world later seasons, but pretty much reality TV in general, how you're supposed to conduct yourself on reality television. This show was sex on everything. Like it was the, and I'm pulling up, so I wanna pull up the the, 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 the roster of said show. We got, the rea- we got the cast of the real world Las Vegas right here. And guys, if you haven't seen this, you might, some people may be too young to get a real world, real world been off air or it has not been relevant in God damn a decade. Um, and even a decade ago, it was still like falling off of like whatever the hell it was on. Um, real world was a show, took seven strangers, picked to live in a place. <laughs> You know, pick to live in a place. Um, fuck. Where people stop being like, is, is something before that? There's something before that. There's absolutely uh. something before that. Because I know it's like stop being polite and start getting real. Um, the real world. Las oh, Vegas. Um, look it up. Look it up. Um, it says, the real world. Pick, uh, work together and have their life, lives taped. To find out what there happens when people stop being polite and start being real. The real world. Listen, this season is so this is the the match that lights that every television producer says we need that and some of what other variation of this. Um this is the first reality television show, I think the first real world, where everyone is unobjectively good looking bro this is the best looking group of seven people i've ever seen in my life <laughs> everybody looks amazing yeah. even still so even still on the challenge today right like i think that's their casting process who's a extremely good looking person now they just find them off instagram but like we yeah. need to find 
looking people because people want to watch good looking people and other good looking people will have interactions and or sex with other good looking people and everybody in this house is a i don't say a monster in their own right but the season it just is i so i've watched the first couple of episodes of the season i got to episode six because real world is so damn addictive. If you got Paramount Plus, please tap in. It's just it's addictive. They're 22 minute episodes. I could breeze- say that at 20 minutes. You breeze right through it. Fuck, man. And they got everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we now episodes are about 40 minutes long, even a little bit longer. The challenge is now 90 minutes long. And I still feel like we're not getting enough as we got in these 22 minute episodes. It was so potent. It was like the right amount of right the right time to do this. Um, I want to go through the cast and 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 get everyone's thoughts, get our thoughts on this cast. I got some, I got some thoughts um, about these people. I got some thoughts too because I only watched six episodes and I got major thoughts. Let's start over here. Let's start with uh, gosh, I guess I don't know. You can't see my mouse. Let's start with Steven. Okay, Steven. We'll go from right to left. We'll go from we'll get the white people out the way and then get to the black people. <laughs> Steven, oh, okay. biggest deviant that I've ever seen. He comes in the house. He's 23 years old. He says he's just got a divorce. And immediately you see why. Because he's come as they're introducing everyone to this house, he's like, oh my God, that girl's so hot. I hope they don't bring another hot girl in this house. Oh my God, there's two hot girls. What am I going to do? Uh, three. Bro, everyone is hot. Everyone is good looking, man. This is crazy. I'm gonna have sex with them all. And I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> That's Steven. I mean, looks he look he looks like an Abercrombie model. Um I believe I think he worked at a gay bar, correct? If I'm not mistaken. That's what he worked at a gay bar. He I don't know. I got I don't like the cut of his jib. I never did. I don't, I don't really yeah, like he he seems like a kind of a a little narcissistic, uh, oh yeah, a little bit of a douchebag. Yeah. You know what the you know what the wild part about him though is he's probably the most normal guy, a normal person, and like he's probably the most neutral person on this cast, which is insane. no, no, the neutral Ooh. person is right in the middle. No, <laughs> literally, Ooh, fr- Frank, Frank, or yeah, no, Frank. Uh, we'll we'll get, to Frank. We'll, get think, to Frank. we'll get to Frank. We'll get to Frank. I think Stephen in himself narcissistic is right on because i literally just got finished with that episode where we talk about bryn a little bit but she had a crush on steven steven's pretty much turning down bryn gets jealous he goes completely off the handle calls her a bitch calls her a hoe calls her all types of other stuff like that and i also didn't like him because i i remember he was on the challenge a little bit later on he was on battle of the sexes either one or two he never makes it to the end. He gets kicked off for slapping Shane in the face for no reason. Like, just slapping Shane. Um, were they drunk? No, they were doing a challenge and they had to be quiet. They could not say anything. But Shane I is remember, like... Okay. Yeah. And Steven... What the fuck up? <laughs> and I was just like... He, he's, a, he's a loose cannon. He's a little bit too hot to handle to me. To me, he's a loose cannon. Um, Trishel one of the early reality TV transformed my life. Um, She steps in the house, not really being out of Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana. 
She sounds Where's like she Britney's from again? She's from New Orleans. No, but what? No, it's like a uh, it, no. It's cut off Louisiana. I have never heard of a town more racist sounding than cut off Louisiana. <laughs> there can't be more than three black people there. Don't have black friends, obviously. As as you have the cats with every white person. I believe there's. I truly believe on the real world application. There is some place that like. Have you ever met black people, or do you have black friends? Because there is no way. It's that every literally every season someone is casted. I never met black people before, so I don't really know how they act. Yeah, only one little dainty little white girl who's like, "Yeah, I've never been around a black guy before." She is the dainty little white, you know, little white girl. Again, sounds like Britney Spears at the beginning. Um, uh, she lost her mother when she was 14 lives with her dad dad is very disappointing in her because she's like she's living in this house and exploring things sexually she's having in the first couple of episodes she's having quite a bit of you know relations with steven um actually gets in a little bit of a threesome hot tub thing with bryn and steven and then tells her dad and their dad is like why are you shaming me on national television do you want to shame me on national television doing all these sexual acts and she starts crying because she's like i want to live my life and, uh, you know 22 year old shit. um let's go to the next one right down here bryn, bryn. okay i got some stuff to say about bryn talk about I, bryn <sighs> she got some like self self-esteem issue but i'm not even sure if she does i think so like when when Bryn first comes into the house off rip, she just as soon as she like sees any other girl who's slightly like a little bit more attractive, I'm so jealous of her. She's so pretty. Look at her. Da, 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 da. She starts putting herself down immediately. Being the prettiest person in her group. That's clear. She, she's very used to being the prettiest girl and getting all the guys. And this is the first time in her life where she's like, oh shit, I'm not. You know, I'm not the most wanted person in here. Like I like you could you could literally see in her face. When like in episode two, she's like, "Oh yeah, basically I want Steven. and Steven's like, "Nah, I ain't really feeling you like that. Like you're beautiful, but like, <laughs> nah." <laughs> and that's tough because Steven is the guy who's having sex with everybody. <laughs> Steven is like Steven has no compass. He will, he, he literally will have sex with anybody. You know, you like, know yeah. what the crazy thing about? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say the crazy thing about Bryn though is like by the second half of the season. She's gone. She has completely disappeared off the show. Like you, you barely see her. I don't know what she was doing at that point. But like, ha- like halfway through the season, she just kind of like not there. I wonder, like, she kind of just like stopped fucking with everybody by that point. I mean, we could talk. I don't know. Like we don't. We, we haven't heard from her or seen from her like damn near since the show was ended. I don't know where Bryn's been. I don't think she did. She didn't do any challenges, right? Nah, she did. They had a reunion like five years after this in 2007. She did that, and I believe she had like kids. So, and I think you can find um, in the challenge community, I'm a very big challenge head, of course. In the challenge community, there's um, this podcast called the Mike Lewis Podcast. He literally gets Mm. everyone. I don't know how he gets everyone, but if you have been on Real World, you're on this podcast. He will find you. and she's on it, and I'm sure she explains her story and stuff like that. I didn't bother to watch; didn't care. Um, but yeah, she's a the her bio on at least Wikipedia says Bryn is a woman who MTV describes as has razor sharp wit and is not afraid to say whatever is on her mind. That's like classic fucking reality TV. <laughs> That's what you pitch to them every time. I'm not afraid to say what's on my mind. Um, 
Newly single Bryn is ready to flirt with the boys in Las Vegas. During her time in Las Vegas, Bryn begins working as a go-go dancer. Um, and then in episode 11, she reveals to Alton that she had once been raped and that her father is a homosexual. So, got a lot going on, Portland, Oregon. Bryn. A lot of stuff going on. Let's talk about this guy in the middle right here. The last of the, the, the most neutral, chaotic... <laughs> neutral chaotic evil that there is my man stubborn as hell the adult frank frank reminds <laughs> me of in digimon um the older kid who is the going to, who's going to like um fuck what was his name oh my god now it's gonna bug me tk was that, was that who it is no 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 he I had go i don't want digimon so long oh my god well, first of all, shame on you. But also, um, <laughs> uh, gosh, what was his name? Damn, this is the first season, Joe. right? Yeah, or the second. But he's just like, oh yeah, the one with the glasses, right? Yeah, he's just a yeah, straight, okay, gotcha. all American. He's a good-looking guy, but has no game whatsoever. None, zero, absolutely. None. He got that. Like, he got that every man face. You know what I mean? If I saw him walking down the street, I would not recognize who this guy is. He'd be another white man walking down the street for me. He clearly wants to be the man, but isn't like a promiscuous guy. He's very traditional. Actually, even in his uh, bio, it says Frank grew up in a traditional family with a stay-at-home mother and a father who owned a local pizzeria. Um, MTV describes him as someone who is affable, which is never a good thing on reality TV. Um, Talkative and open, as well as someone who makes friends easily. In the first six episodes, he definitely is on the phone joking about Arissa and like on his to his friends and and just like calls out. He's like, "Yeah, she's the black bitch of the show," and and she goes, "She's not happy with that at all." Quite honestly, reality TV, real world, every it they real world essentially invented the like archetype. Of like the black bitch, like the angry black woman, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And or at least depicting them in that way from Tammy Roman in Los, you know, Los Angeles. Who else was one? I guess Coral would be considered one. Anissa, angry black lesbian, um, all these other stuff. So you don't really necessarily want to be typecast as that. Um yeah. to be honest with you, as an adult, I don't blame him because <laughs> <laughs> get on my nerves <laughs> like i don't blame him because i'm just uh, like my brain i'm like yo you're so you clearly have no idea how the world works and you're wondering why i'm mad at you for speaking to me in this fashion why are you calling me a black bitch um, absolutely what are your thoughts on frank yeah frank you off top he has no game I, as a grown man i'm not letting two people make out over over my lap in the club. I'm not letting it happen. I'm pushing them. I'm pushing both of them. I'm sorry. You're not doing that. He always has a problem when someone's having sex in his room. Like, they have sex in his room. He gets out. He's like, yeah, they're having sex in my room. Like, bro, can you go take that somewhere else? And it's like, come on, Frank. Come on. You know, you know um, what the show is. You know what you signed up for. Real world. This is in Vegas, by the way. Um, Next one, we got Arissa. She, she, was gonna, she was gonna get out the hood. I'll tell you that much. If, it, if she, she gonna die trying, she gonna get out the hood. 
I'm not going back to Boston. Massachusetts. You're not from fucking Boston. I'm not going back. I'm getting out the hood. It says Malden, Massachusetts. What is Malden? Malden, Massachusetts. That's apparently the hood. It's apparently the hood. It it, it might be. Boston got some like real like rougher spots, low key. Okay. Okay. But it says, let me see where I I don't go to Boston very often, so I couldn't tell you exactly. But I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out like what's your demographic and stuff like that. Either way, she looks really Asian. A lot of immigrants as well. She's half black. She's half white. Um, she was, was MTV describes as a tough girl with a heart of gold. She was raised raised in the projects with a single mother, which helped Arissa to be self sufficient. Her self sufficiency is what determining her transition from early life to adulthood. Arissa, at this point of life, she got more issues than a magazine. Like she, she got. First of all, she came in. She was like, "Yo, I'm so broke right now. I got fourteen dollars, and I'm just confused why she went on the show because they don't really pay you that much on the show. This is why you get the job that you get. You have to work to make money on the show. She got, she got free housing for six months. What do you mean? I, and to get out the hood, apparently, <laughs> she got, the hood. She got um, out. She um, smokes a lot. That's a big thing. Uh, she was chain smoking, boy. Let me tell her, Rulon. Bro, like all, <laughs> like oh man, all time. <laughs> the whole time. Here's the whole lobby. Time. That lobby was, <laughs> was disgusting. It's so filthy. Oh my god, I should take this picture. No, I'm gonna leave the picture up. Um, you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy too? As someone who's worked in the casino for a really long time. It just shows how much time change. You cannot smoke in a damn lobby in the in in fucking no. where the sweets are at. Absolutely not. They would have tossed their ass out so quick. They're smoking everywhere. They're in the yeah. lobby, in the room, and their yeah. job. Um, <laughs> I haven't reached this moment yet in the show. Probably one of my favorite moments this season is where some girl talks crazy to Arissa in the club. And <laughs> she just has this moment where she just like you can tell that she's like blacking out. <laughs> it's like there's this like TikTok trend that uses a Beyonce song. It was like um I forgot what song that is, but you can tell. Yeah, there we go. So they use that, and you can tell she's blacking out, and she absolutely beats that chick's ass in the club. <laughs> the club. <laughs> and I'm just like, yo, this is why 2002 is never... Was that, that was at her job, right? Wasn't she working? She worked. Yes, they work in the she same place. They live in. <laughs> and party. <laughs> yeah. And then and found people... Like, this was like the insane thing. She has a boyfriend. The only thing I've seen in this first six episodes, she has a boyfriend named Dario. But Dario's not here and she needs affection because... She's from the hood and just needs someone to hold her from time to time. Um, let's talk about Alton. Oh my talk god, <laughs> very polarizing guy. Oh my goodness, clearly a black guy from San Diego. Clearly, clearly, that's what that's all I can say. And you know what was crazy? I've been to a challenge mania event, met Alton. Alton's cool as fuck. Is he? <laughs> yeah, he's he's OD cool, like he's like. He is, it, it, clearly, like, I got the black head nod before I even like approach him. Like, I got he, he was, was very, yeah. very cool. 
yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god, I want to read his Wikipedia bio before we get into Alton because there's a lot about Alton. Alton grew up a Navy brat and has lived in many different parts of the country because of this. His close relationships to his extended family. MT describes him as a source of inspiration to people around him and has a positive outlook on life. When he was 14, his nine-year-old brother, Jonathan Sellers, wait a minute. Holy shit. Um, wow, okay. That was a big uh that was a big case. His nine-year-old brother, Jonathan, I don't, I don't kidnapped and murdered. So Jonathan Sellers, the murder of Carly, Charlie Kiever, and Jonathan Sellers. I'm assuming it's big because it has his own Wikipedia page. Literally. Um and crime solved by DNA, which I think is a That's crazy. It's a this is this is what OJ was attempting to do. Um <laughs> but we weren't ready yet. We weren't ready yet. Um Alton and oh okay. In episode eleven, he reveals that he was molested when he was six years old, and this along with his brother's death causes him discomfort around homosexuals. Oh yeah, he was super. He was super homophobic on this season, which you know I I I I understand. This we're going to talk about a lot about homophobia and just kind of where <laughs> sexuality was in two thousand two. Um, and I'm just going to say hashtag different times. You know, different leave times. It different times. It's a different time. Alton was. I know in the second half of the season he gets with Aralon. Um, oh, but he's, he's also. He's, he's so much to me. There's such a wide spectrum with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of who he is, and like how kind of low key toxic he is. Even no, with- he's not low key. He is high key toxic. Let me tell you something. First of all, like he acts like he wanted Irulan. He wants to be with Irulan, but then literally does everything the opposite of what you should do when you have a girlfriend or a partner. Like <laughs> I swear on every. At one point, he had a threesome with two girls. Other some two girls he met. And then lied to everybody, swore on his dead brother that he didn't do it, knowing that we're going to see this on TV when it comes out. I'm like, this guy is the absolute worst of the worst. I said, this guy is a piece of trash. He just like, I've never like, (laughs) he he just like was blatantly lying. Like, oh, I I didn't sleep with that girl. I didn't sleep with that girl. And then, you know, then they show him sleeping with that girl. Like it happened so many times. It blows my mind. Challenge legend, good for him. <laughs> Challenge legend. Um, Irulan from the Bronx, New York. Did not know she was from the Bronx until this rewatch. I completely spaced it out of my mind, um, but it makes complete sense. You both from the Bronx. I know that you're dirty. Um, <laughs> you said that to Alton. You <laughs> said that twenty years before I spiced. <laughs> Put that on wax. Um, Irulan is a biracial woman that had a typical childhood until her father's death when she was six years old. Again, a lot of childhood trauma. Yeah, a lot of child trauma. Especially with the black people on the show. Because of this, she and her mother share a deep bond with one another. Growing up with body issues her whole life, she has overcome them. She's now a student at Parsons School of Design. She had an open relationship with her boyfriend, Gabe, which was a very... I was like, what? Gabe? Who the fuck is this? And it's like, yo, what are you doing with your? What was? She's twenty one. I was like, wait, what are you doing with your life? Like, really? It was like the work. And it was the worst open relationship because they weren't even like really open. Like, nah. Gabe had a problem with you know her sleeping with Alton. You know what I mean? He they their agreement was 
they had nobody an open relationship. Here. Yeah, nobody in the house. And then she was like, no, I've been living with this guy for six months. You thought I wasn't gone? Um, Wallace Park, regarding Erlon on this show, this boss guy named Mark, the director oh, yeah, of marketing, Mark. Um, they get hired by Palms, essentially. This is also a very bad look for Palms, um, even 20 years later. I thought it was it's a bad look even then. Um, but I guess everyone was seeing everything through their like grape shaded lenses back in that time. Um, he is their boss. Everyone hates work, but you, you know, MTV, like what I what I appreciate about this show is like you get to see someone's orientation from a third person perspective. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to like living through it, you get a new job, you're like thinking this, and now you're seeing from third person perspective. I was like, oh, everyone hates this shit. We all have the same thoughts. Sending orientation, like, yo, why the fuck am I? Just, just teach me how to do the fucking job. Like, yeah, I think they're a wild hung- hungover too. It wasn't one of them like sleeping or something, or they came in yeah. that late. <laughs> yeah, but this is also Vegas. So I'm like, yo, this is yeah. Cool. You send them up for failure. Um, either way, director of marketing, Mark. I think his name is Mark. Um, gets very like he's clearly he's hitting on all the girls in the house, but then he's going back and saying like, "Yo, you guys need to do your job correctly." Like, I don't want to be the guy who's like garnishing wages because no one's doing their job correctly. Meanwhile, he's like trying to get in bed in the for with a couple episodes with Irulan. He takes her to an empty hotel room. And tries to like dig in her pants, yeah, and, like, yeah, and stuff like that. I was like, "Yo, what is this show? Like, how how has no one from production and or Palms like reported this? Because this is very much so sexual harassment on this show. Hashtag and, different times, man. Hashtag because this is, it's not sexual harassment. This shit is the storyline on the show. And yeah. it's like, man, don't you hate bad bosses? Oh my god, <laughs> you know, you know what it is. I, I've heard Justin talk about this a lot of times. Um, you know, it was like post 9-11 content. We don't, we like, we as Americans, we didn't want to see anything super duper serious and kind of, we were trying yeah, to have fun. So I think the American mindset at that time was like, yeah, this, this is, you know, just harmless, you know, um, boss trying to sleep with coworker, you know, whatever. Like it did like everything on MTV at that time, besides maybe like true life, wasn't really that like deep it was mostly fun content so right i kind of think that was the aim for this season of real world this is the first season of real world post 9 11 and i don't think they really want to go too heavy on stuff so i think i'm gonna give you know that's what mtv was aiming for obviously you know sexual harassment in the workplace is terrible shouldn't happen but it happened, and you know what the weird part about it though is like you see like everybody was kind of too nonchalant about this whole thing. I'm like, yo, yo not, no one finds this weird. Like this is insane. Yo, this this season is 28 episodes. It's mad episode. There's so many episodes. How the fuck? At this point, you know the people. Like you know these people after 28 episodes. I don't think Real World Chicago was 24. Real World Back to New York was 22. Um, real world New Orleans was 23, and that's like the apparently peak of like real worldness. Like, niggas was, niggas was full on celebrities back then. Um, and Eminem videos and shit. Uh, real world Las Vegas goes the full 28. I don't even think any other season 
content because they had so much content, so much sex. Yeah, it was there so was much, so much to talk about. Yeah, and it, it, there was so much like going on. Um, it production started February thirteenth and ended June twenty first of two thousand two. They flipped this around, aired this September seventeenth two thousand two. Didn't stop airing until April of two thousand three. That is that's. Do you see the, t- the the timing? Real World, Las Vegas, and the episode of SmackDown we watched. It's like, come on, it's a week later. We did that. Oh shit! Come on, we man. Did that. We yeah. did that. Come on, yeah. man. Look at that. Look at the, the timing, that, man. Come on now. Um, listen, Real World was chaotic. All right, it just was. Like, I can't. You know I will say this was the first. I think this was the first season of Real World. We're like, okay, I played the first kind of like the first ten. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt, you know, it felt more like documentary style. I think by the time we got to twelve, we were on full on like kind of MTV production. All these people are fucking terrible. They, they do really. Yeah. They don't. They don't care because I think after this comes Paris. They were wild in Paris. Um, and then by the time we get to Denver, by the time we get to Denver, the show is completely off the rails. Everybody is just like cheating and hooking up and just being terrible people for the cameras. Um, I still think uh, who's who is it? Who's the um, young lady on um, Denver? Okay, I can't remember who it was. Hold Jen. On. Yeah, fucking terrible. <laughs> she was she was the worst. <laughs> um, yeah, by the time by the time we get to like Denver, people they're just like they're full on just bad people. I, like there's nothing, there's nothing likable about anybody on that season. Before we get into this episode of SmackDown, which is the season premiere of SmackDown for whatever reason, um, season premieres of wrestling shows always like it doesn't stop. Why the fuck is there a season premiere? Um, but hey, TV. Um, we got to do the catch up. Last episode we covered SummerSlam 2002, one of the greatest SummerSlams of all time. Um, regarded as a classic by every stretch, every imagination. Um, this episode only happens like three weeks after, two weeks after, but still quite a bit goes on. So let's talk about the night after SummerSlam. Uh, the Intercontinental title and the Hardcore Championship were unified. So we are effectively getting rid of the Hardcore Championship. The joke's over. Everyone had their fun. Now it's time for, I guess, serious wrestling and ruthless aggression era. Um, memories of the hardcore title. Let's talk about it. It never comes Man. back. Never <laughs> comes back. It's a, you know, for the short run it had, what did it come out? What, 98? 98, yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, so I mean, the short run it had, I, the most memories I have is kind of, um, I remember like Al Snow's run. I remember Crash Holly running around, getting chased by the Mean Street Posse and Chuck E. Cheese or wherever the hell he was at or in the airport. Could you imagine? Could you imagine trying to do that in the airport today? <laughs> like, bro, this never, is, never. This is that that pre nine eleven, post nine eleven stuff we talk about. But like, could you imagine trying to run around the airport fighting it? I don't know. But um, you'd be on a no fly list. So New York soon. people for New York people, maybe just specifically Brooklyn people, Crash Holly defending the Hardcore Championship in Funtime USA, which was a just an indoor amusement park in Brooklyn. Yeah. Still an all-time moment for me. <laughs> so, amazing. Um, Steve Blackman? Uh, I mean, I've said it a gajillion times. That was, that was the guy who got me into wrestling, which is insane. 
But like that, that was my guy. Like I said, with Steve Lack, when he came out with little mini little stick things, he was hitting with the, the, the little combo. Yeah. That's, that's all I needed. At this point, the hardcore title had been like, no one get by 2002, no one gives a damn. Like by the time it, Maven, when, when Maven starts holding it, I'm like, okay, we were, I think we, we right. kind of accomplished what we needed yeah. to do with this belt. Absolutely. Um, after this, so Lita, who had her neck broken after doing a unsurprisingly, um, breaking her neck doing a Hurricane Rana. Um, because have you seen her Hurricanes? <laughs> like, I love Lita, but like, have you seen them? Um, she breaks out on the set of Dark Angel. Um, which is terrible. Got to be bad for insurance for the actual film as well. Um, what a dark age. Now, she, now she's working. You don't remember the show with the that sparked Jessica Alba. Um, that was oh. Jessica Alba. Um, that was the, the success before the success of Honey. And yeah, I, I remember Jessica Alba from Honey. That's the first time I seen Jessica Alba. Nah, I remember her on Dark Angel. Um, anyway, Lita's working commentary now. Uh, according to what Dave Meltzer has heard, she's terrible. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, no confusion there. Um, Brock Lesnar at the end of the Raw after SummerSlam is now exclusively in SmackDown property. In storyline terms, Seven Good Man pays him a bunch of money to exclusively bring the undisputed championship to SmackDown, therefore making it disputed. Um, therefore transforming it back to the regular ass WWE championship, um, the following week on raw, Eric Bischoff comes out, acknowledges that Stephanie McMahon, that thieving, you know, I don't even know what he called mm. it. Thieving, um, stole Brock Lesnar. He has to introduce the world championship on raw world heavyweight championship. It is just given to triple H. Your thoughts at the time, sir. Even at like even at twelve years old or eleven years old, I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> no tournament, no, no, no fatal four way, nothing. We're just gonna give him the belt. I guess Van Dam can't fight for it. Something, <laughs> right? Like, Somebody. <laughs> because, because it's just like, and your new world heavyweight champion since he beat Undertaker um, to win the number one contendership, and he was supposed to face Brock Lesnar. I guess he just gets the championship, and sure enough, Triple H is like, "Yeah, I'm world champion now." Tight, but el- so also weird. who else on Raw? Who else on Raw though? I mean, maybe Rob Van Dam, but at this point, they don't even trust him like that. They don't really fuck with Rob Van Dam like that. Yeah, they like fuck with him kind of, but they don't fuck with him like that. They never, they never really fuck with Rob Van. Dam. I, I think, I think they acknowledge that yo, he's very popular. People really like him, but can we trust him? To hold, you know, what I mean, it took him what four or five years before they let him hold the big belt, and then what does he do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Listen, he ain't have all them problems for four or five years until that one moment. They could have gave it to him. Yeah, no, they could have gave it to him, but you know, bad luck. Um. I, also, I'm sorry that I'm spoiling your 2002 rewatch with all this information. <laughs> I, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it, I, I, I was kind of upset about because, like, I think as far as, as in the rewatch, I just finished. Judgment Day. So uh, Undertaker just won the belt. Um, I well, you got Undertaker has a good run. 2002 was a good yeah. Undertaker year. Yeah, he just won the uh, belt. Um, the Un Americans are threatening to burn the American flag on WWE television. <laughs> but backstage, they're not happy with that decision because it's getting them heat that they don't actually want. 
like actual like fuck you guys. I can imagine. <laughs> Again, post 9-11. Um do not want this kind of smoke. They live in we're, Florida. We're not we're not even a year after 9-11 happened yet. You know what I mean? Like we're still within the, the same 365 days as happened. And they're right. Uh, yeah, that was probably it's probably too soon. Yeah, yeah, way too soon. Um <laughs> Raw hears about Billy and Chuck's you know wedding, Eric Bischoff specifically, and he introduces the concept of HLA hot <sighs> lesbian action. <laughs> if y'all have no, were... on your show, we can have same sex too. <laughs> They're so fucking shameless, bro. Yo, you know what's the funny part? I remember my best friend, Angel. Shout out to my boy, Eco. He had the HLA t-shirt. I don't know how he talked his mom into buying him the HLA t-shirt, but he definitely had the t-shirt that said HLA in, like, big letters. It had, like, two, like, silhouettes of women, like, <laughs> spooning or something. It was it, – it's insane. I wonder if I could find it. Yo, it's insane. Let's find that shit. on. HLA t-shirt. Um, WWE. I'm sure it's there somewhere. Oh, it sure is. Listen, Google it yourself. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know how she he talked to his mom into buying that T-shirt. Because um, you know what HLA was. That's why. Yeah, for sure. You know, you know it's funny too. I loved uh, during the episode of SmackDown. Like <laughs> at one point, Michael Michael Cole was like, "Yeah, we're not doing that shameless pandering like Raw is over there. We would never do something like that." And then immediately did the same thing an hour later, gay baiting on oh. a TV show. <laughs> I don't think you get away with hot lesbian action on national television. Absolutely not. Um, but either way, the lesbians who get their own like cryon <laughs> and like the lesbians, uh, they get beat up by Rosie and Jamal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Rosie and Jamal must have problem with must have had the same problems Alton had because Jesus Christ, they were beating up all all the uh, possible gays, and they sh- never really got like run run. <laughs> They were just like, as Michael Cole would call it, Eric Bischoff's heavies. <laughs> Which I was he like, does. okay. <laughs> it's thugs. Um, Chris Jericho was on the Bubba the Love radio Sponge radio show, if that's 2002. I don't know what it is. He said he is not interested in winning the WWE title anymore because he has already accomplished all of his wrestling goals. Now he just wants to entertain fans and help new stars get over. Sound familiar? Um mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how losing to Cena recently was his idea, and he had to talk them into it um, because Cena had no. I mean, we're gonna see from this episode, no sway, no nothing, no, no direction. Nothing. Just the the madcap moss of the era. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> he's he's very much so great looking, muscular white guy. Um, and I think that's kind of all the news that I got. I mean, there's some, you know, nothing really happens, and we'll get into some more Wrestling Observer stuff afterwards um, because this is going to be last episode before a long break. Um, so we'll get into some Wrestling Observer stuff afterwards. But, yeah, man, like, between SummerSlam to now, doing a lot of things, but this is the season premiere of SmackDown. Down. I gotta I gotta wait, wait. Where's SmackDown this episode? Hold on. St. Paul, St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. Come on. Shout out to got- shout out Johnny Barnes. Shout out to J- Jamal. This is where it went down. The epicenter of, of same-sex marriage. <laughs> you know, you know what I loved about this? 
because I believe since we, this was the um, the season premiere, this was the first episode where they had the new production style, kind of like they had the uh, the silver, the iconic silver ring skirt, and they had the new yeah. ramp with the lights on it, and yeah, because they were doing the black ropes with the regular things before. Yeah, they were doing um, to, no, you're right. You're right. This I is didn't this is this was the this is the Brock era. I remember. You know, growing up with the, the whole silver and you know Ray Mysterio's there, Brock's there, that whole SmackDown Six is there, that whole crew. It felt nice watching that, you know, for the first time in such a long time. Well, let's talk about the SmackDown Six before we get into SmackDown. The okay. show, SmackDown Six. Who do you consider the true SmackDown Six? Talk about it. What, was, what was the SmackDown Six? Because there's like some debate with this. I always assumed it was the Guerreros, Benoit. Um, angle, angle, um, and uh, Ray and Edge. Okay, that, that, so that's, that was my smack Someone, I mean, there, I think it's like a discrepancy. Some people take out Chavo, put in Brock, um, because Brock was also having a lot of great matches during this time. Yeah. Um, but the SmackDown Six, just a dependable six wrestlers. I mean, let's see, yeah, so it's the sports are goes by your definition as well. Six talents who hadn't been overexposed. I'm going from my sports here. Hadn't been overexposed. Revitalized the tag team picture. Absolutely, they do. Um, Despite them, WWE never airing it again. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit versus Edge and Rey Mysterio at No Mercy 2002 is one of the greatest tag team matches I've ever seen in my life. And at one time, one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. And Outside of, I guess, Chavo, (laughs) 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 world champions. Um, Oh, Chavo, he's a champion. Yeah, he had a little run. He had a little run. Um, SmackDown 6 was a good era. It was all these guys, you know, they're going to have great matches. I mean, even on this show, the matches are great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The people feature on this. SmackDown 6 elevated SmackDown. It gave them like this face, it gave them this identity. That SmackDown was previously just kind of seen as like, okay, what happened after Raw? Um, but you didn't really need to watch it. Um, now SmackDown had an identity and had a much better identity than Monday Night Raw. Because Monday Night Raw, I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing over there. Um, Monday Night Raw was starting off with 30-minute Triple H promos every week. And mind you, my bedtime was like 10 o'clock around this time. So I only got to see like... 30 minutes of something really happening. You know what I mean? Because, you know, no, nah, my fans every share. I watch every Raw and full always, <laughs> ever. Um, I feel very glad and happy knowing that because most of our guests say the same thing. Like, yeah, was, was yeah I had a bad time. Um, <laughs> SmackDown kicks off with Brock Lesnar um, versus Hardcore Holly. And I put in my notes who is the Hardcore Holly of today? Let's talk about Hardcore Holly. Pretty much like from a previous era. um, Old. Can still kind of go. Kind of tough. But really has no... There's no chance in hell of him attaining any sort of major success at all. Yeah, I wanted to say Sheamus, but it obviously can't be Sheamus. Oh, damn. Uh, Who would it be? You know who it would have been? Like... I would have seen like Oni or Oni or like Timothy Thatcher would have been one of those guys who just like mm. you know and just, they you know you you in for a fight they are gonna beat the shit out of each other and then they never gonna win the big belt. I'm trying to think of the roster right now. 
yeah, let me look at the roster and see who's there. <laughs> who's the hardcore Hollywood for a day? I'm trying to connect this connect this tissue to the people so they know. I'm gonna look on SmackDown. Let me see what's on SmackDown. Um, SmackDown got too many new niggas to be honest with you. So I, I was I gonna really say, I was gonna say gender, but gender's a world champion, so I can't even say that. Corbin. Uh, Corbin. Huh. You know what? I think that's the closest we can go. Yeah, it might be Corbin. The the hardcore Holly of our day. Cause like never won the world title. Doesn't seem like he's gonna win the world title. But no matter what no matter how big JBL's pants are at this point. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know, maybe thinking Shelton Benjamin. I don't want to no, but Shelton is such a Nah, Shelton's too like he's too respected and and, and he's, he's got too polished. He's too he's too yeah. technical, too polished. Yeah. Huh. I feel like Corbin he, like his ring style is really more like just more brawler style, which I kind of you know attribute with Bob Holly. Right. I guess so. Anyway. Um Brock Lesnar beats the shit out of hardcore Holly. These boys were working <laughs> stiff, boy. Let me tell you. Well, you know what's crazy? I feel like at the beginning of the match, like the off the rip. It didn't seem like Hardcore Holly really wanted to sell for this guy, which I, I no. don't understand. <laughs> he was not trying he's to not sell. He's not a team player. He he's was not. Thought he should have been world champion because he's the toughest guy there. I'm like, relax, Hardcore Holly. Have you seen yeah. you? You're not even. You're not attractive. You're not anything. Like you're just a guy who has Hardcore Holly on one side of his trunks and Hardcore Holly on the other side of his trunks. <laughs> like a nice, a nice drop kick. Nice drop kick. Um, listen, and this is still pre-Alabama Slam era, I believe. Alabama was Slam. it? Yeah, I the think after so. when he came back, because this I is his last match for a while. I'm gonna tell you that right yeah. now. Yeah, well, does he break his neck in this match? This is the one who gets his neck broken. Yeah, he dropped it when he put when Brock powerbomb. He dropped him right on his neck, and then Brock kicks him in the head right after that, which is insane. But yeah, well, this is a this is the match where he breaks his neck, and he's gone till shit till Royal Rumble when they have the match. Then when they have the rematch, right? So when does he beat up Matt Capitelli? Because when he beat up Matt Capitelli, I was off him for life. Like, when that after? That tough, was enough. tough enough. That was tough enough too. That was tough enough. That was tough enough three. Nah, I thought that was two. Yeah, tough enough three. Okay. Nah, tough enough Maybe two. We covered tough enough three a couple episodes ago. You haven't seen it yet. Um, Did he keep wrestling nah. after that? Jesus yeah, Christ. he wrestles. He, he he wrestles. Tough enough three was what year was this? Good lord, or was it tough enough two? Huh. He says while while awaiting surgery, Holly made a guest appearance. So he was he was already injured, but he still made a guest appearance to beat up kids. That's that that always left a bad taste in fans' mouth because Matt Capitelli is like crying on national television. Yeah, nice And the hard girl is like, "Yo, you gotta like, come on, man, it's a little too stiff." Um, next up, I got another matchup. Got Los Guerreros. Versus Edge and John Cena, and what I know to have this match is proof you got to start somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You got to start somewhere. This None is the first. Go ahead. This is the first time I've ever. This is the first time I watched like pre-rapper John Cena since it happened. If I'm not, yeah, this is what. I don't think I've. I don't think I've watched pre like pre-rapper gimmick John Cena since it like since I started doing the rewatch. He just debuted like. Got you, got you, got you, got you. Okay. I have not watched him at all, so this is it. Was, it almost like 
I remember he used to come out whatever colors the team had on. He would have like the same color tights. And he's on, which, Vikings. <laughs> yeah, it was Vikings this week. You got to start somewhere. He's not really, to be honest with you, I don't think me being a major Edge fan and looking back at Edge's career, I don't think Edge was even that great during this period. Um, we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's clear he's still kind of learning. I think he had all the fundamentals down and could piece together a great match. And I think he had a great mind, as he always does. But I don't think that he's, like, incredible at this point and having, like, consistent great matches without the help of Kurt Angle or Rey Mysterio or anybody else. But um, so the match ends um, with Eddie Guerrero trying to shove Edge's face in Chavo's butt. But Edge... One nut shot later, pretty much hits uh, Eddie in the in the groin. Um, then he shoves Eddie's face in Chavo's butt, and that is how the match ends. Because that is how you make entertaining television in two thousand two. Um, and after the commercial break, Eddie Guerrero is absolutely sick. He's living. <laughs> he cussing all types of thing, and Chavo is saying, "I wiped Eddie. I wiped." <laughs> he's, like, it's all, he's like, "It's all my face. It's still on my face." <laughs> What childish fucking humor, bro. That's oh, my God. After this, Mark Lloyd interviews The Undertaker. Shout out to Mark. Are you, you remember Mark Lloyd at any point in your life? No, I don't remember Mark Lloyd. I remember like Grisham. I don't remember Mark Lloyd being there. Okay, no. Mark Lloyd was, was very post-Kevin Kelly um, era. But still, he's living the coach's era currently. Um, but coaches on Raw. Mark Lloyd... He is the is the Sarah Schreiber of our day. Um, <laughs> Mark Lloyd interviews the Undertaker, who brought his pregnant wife Sarah to the building. Um, she's pregnant. He's trying to make sure that for, what for what I don't know why he brings her just because she the, got she got friends and family out there. He said she want, he wanted to go see her. Want to see his friends and family? Yes, bullshit. <laughs> no, nobody in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> it's like who fucking knows. Um, He's interrupted, and first of all, they're not together anymore. He has to get that tattoo off his neck removed. Don't get, don't get tattoos with significant others on your neck. I'm sure maybe he transformed it into like a tiger or some shit like that, or some black guy like John Wall has now on his neck. Um, he's interrupted by Matt Hardy, who congratulates Undertaker and says he hopes that to have a Matt Hardy version to his own. Now let me tell you. <laughs> He, he fulfilled. He fulfilled the wish. <laughs> that point. More than enough, to be honest with you. And then he gets shoved because Matt Hardy's mad annoying. Um, Rico, we get Rico backstage, and he's planning this commitment ceremony. He's trying to get the cakes. He has a problem because they're only serving wedding cakes with brides and grooms in 2002, and he needs to get one with two grooms. But this is 2002, <laughs> and that and that was like a, a big thing back then. I remember it was like this big, was a big uh, case. That's a big ask. You're trying to get two grooms on a cake in 2000. (laughs) You could buy two brides (laughs) (laughs) welded together. Maybe that'll work. Um, Again, same-sex marriage is not even close to being a thing yet in 2002. At least, well, it's a thing, but like... It's it's brand new. It's brand new. Like This is like, whoa. Official thing. Um, he tries to convince Stephanie McMahon to come to the wedding, but she says she has very bad luck at weddings. Which fair, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, why not? She's like, I don't want to jinx it. 
You know, you know, I got, you know weddings, got drugged my first one, got shoved in my face the second one. You know, I was, I was, I was concerned because the, the way the promo started, she was like, "No, nah, I ain't really trying to go." I thought she was about to say something wild, flagrant. <laughs> I was like, "Yo, where's she going with this?" It's not that I don't agree with it. Just, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> I'm not really. That's not my kind of thing." But I support you guys, you know, as your boss and stuff like yeah, that. Support from afar. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Nah, you're right. I already thought I was like. Come on, Steph. What are you doing? Rico is adamant for her to come because everything's going to hell. And Stephanie eventually agrees. And Rico's like, gotcha, bitch. Um, (laughs) Next matchup, a rematch from SummerSlam. Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio. Classic Kurt Angle promo to open the match. Oh, my goodness. fine. You're a boy in a man's world, and I'm a man who loves to play with boys. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm a man, and you're a boy, and I'm going to get on top of you, and then I'm going to wrestle you over. No, 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 no. And then I think he does something. One more. Who would write uh, the show at this time? Fucking Paul Heyman. It was Paul. Uh, it was Paul, right? Okay. Yeah. That's like a, that's Paul. Like a Paul By virtue of having a same sex wedding, I know it's Paul Heyman. Um, <laughs> he loves a wedding, doesn't he? Yeah, he loves a good wedding. Um. Anyway, great rematch. Kurt Angle wins as he should. He's getting his win back from SummerSlam. Did a great yeah. deal with Mysterio at SummerSlam. Now he's getting the win back. Wins with an angle slam off the top rope. If that don't kill you, I don't know what will. Hey, for 2002, they were wrestling tonight. That for this show, they were they were, they put their working boots on for this show. Hey man, come on now. Because even even the next match, right? We got Chris Benoit versus Rikishi. Um, I still think a great combination, underrated. Now they're both Rikishi's. I think he's on the he's decline. The yeah, side. yeah, he's definitely on the decline, especially after his big surgery and all this other stuff like that. But like, um. They still have a fair enough match, but Kurt Angle interrupts it because he's a hater. Um, <laughs> well, he got stink faced last week, so he had to he had to return the favor. Absolutely, he came through. Chris Benoit do nothing this week. He was like, "All right, I got my shit back. Like, I'm gonna just leave this thing alone." <laughs> um, Kurt Angle shows up because he's a hater, um, and holds Benoit's arms while he gets the stink face, which is od disrespectful. I feel like it's like. It's like you can't even do anything. And first of all, the I'm trying to think of being that era. And yeah, it's probably good business. But having some man rub their ass in my face is still what what, what would you do? You come into you you're working for WWE, you're working that night. Vince calls you to the office, like, hey pal, um, you're taking the stick face tonight. How do you react? Man, <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, I think everybody. But Austin gets it. And the Rock get it? I think The Rock gets it. it. Maybe. Maybe I think The Rock gets it. Maybe. I feel like I can see it. But he would have his, like, his arm up. I'm sure he would have. He's like, nigga, you know. Yeah. Nah, I'm assuming by the time he does a Hollywood, Stink Face is like out of the question. Out of the question. You're, not putting, you're not putting your ass in my face. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we family. Yeah. <laughs> I assume it's out of the question. Um, I don't know how I would react. I can't see myself. Entertainment, yeah, I get it. But still, man, that's all right. How about how about this? Which one would you rather have? Stink face from Rikishi or the worm from Boogeyman? 
worm from the worms from Boogeyman. Yeah. Hmm. I would take the worms. You I'm like so? worms. Yeah, I'm right with the worms. Yeah, I'm right with the worms. Worms is not bad. You know? Spitting worms in your mouth? I don't know, man. Whatever you're doing, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I might take the worms. But that's a good question. Um, stepping man afterwards, Chris Man was tight because he just got an ass shoved in his face. <laughs> and he goes to Stephen Man and he's like, listen, you know, Kurt Angle's getting on my nerves. I need the match. She makes the match for Unforgiven. Um, Matt Hardy is also in the room. He says he wants to undertake her, and he's completely getting it. Now, let's get to the moment of truth. Yo, watching this back is so much more funny. <laughs> oh, it's way funny. The commitment ceremony between Billy and Chuck. The SmackDown, the tag team championships are now officially on Raw. So there is nothing for tag teams to do on SmackDown but stupid shit like this. Um, the commitment ceremony, I will say this. I mean, it got a lot, it got a little bit of press. It was in the New York Times. It's on Good Morning America. Um, I think like, they I think they recognize such press, and that's why they had the LGBTQ pins on their jackets. They were pushing this dead ass, like, yo, these people are really about to get married. Like they were really pushing this hard, like this was gonna happen. And I feel like they were trying to let people down easy to be like, yeah, you know, anything can happen in the WWE. Yeah. Like, no. But also, like, now nah, we got to commit to it because now Glad is like, damn, Billy and Chuck, they're our heroes. You know what I'm saying? Professional wrestling is, is really, really great. Um, We get the super old priest to do this commitment ceremony. And this whole, all I could think is this commitment ceremony is like forward thinking, but still incredibly tone deaf. And I'm trying to figure out which, which, which more is it. <laughs> so having two men, it, it's way more tone deaf than actually forward thinking. Having two men agree, but also like you also never intend to do it. But I think it could have done, I think by all stretch of imagination, this could have gone way worse. Yeah, I'll 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 take that. They could have they could have been way worse with this. It it could have gone so much worse. Um, so they're in a commitment ceremony. Rico's out there. He's got his Michael Jackson headset on. Um, Stephanie McMahon is out there. The old ass priest is out there, and Billy and Chuck are out there, and they're in this to become tag team partners permanently. You know, they got the Billy and Chuck video going on of them and eating hot dogs and in bikini contests and all types of other stuff like that. I'm like, yo, what did Billy Gunn? What a career! What a career. <laughs> what what a career. Chuck Palumbo really can't say the same. To be honest, with you. he be, he ends up becoming like great by Undertaker, yeah. like at the end of this decade, um, but. Literally with like Michelle McCool and a motorcycle. Um, but Billy, man, willing to do anything to get the ball to the end zone. You know what I'm saying? Like, real team really, player. But just not all the way this. Like, you know, <laughs> they get to the nuptials. You know what I'm saying? They're talking about the nuptials. Chuck is like, yo, 
right, I mean, all right, all right, all right. Rico's because yeah. Rico, and I'm like, yo, like, mm-hmm. Chuck's is like, all right, all right, all right, all right. And then Billy's like, all right, okay, okay, okay. Even though Billy's like, this is very strange. Um, then, of course, is any WWE wedding. Here comes the Godfather. <laughs> who, who I don't, he had, this is the first time back since what, the Rumble? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, he returned for the Rumble and immediately, I mean, at this point, he's super old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's pretty old. Not even like super old, but he's been with WWE since early 90s for sure. Like, yeah, possibly as, 80s. As a, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's been there for a long time. Um, God, how old is he now? Let's take a look. The Godfather. Wrestler. What's his real name? <laughs> I was gonna try to think of his real name. Charles Wright. Charles so Wright. he's sixty-one to this year, which means he was forty-one when he was doing this, and he started in WWE in nineteen ninety-one. Yeah, so he, he put a lot of time in. Yeah, he was he was he was twelve years in. He probably feeling everything at this point. Twelve years into WWE, um, wrestling since nineteen eighty-nine. Yeah, like I'm sure he had some major injuries, and all he could do was actually pip for a while. Um, unless he comes out, we're on UPN, so we don't explicitly get like hoes, you know what I'm saying? We get he said it, I'm pretty sure he said it, didn't he? The he, he goes, he lets the crowd say it. Oh, I thought he said it, he says it at the end, nah, he says it at the end, oh, okay, like the end, end, but like commentary mm-hmm. isn't calling them, like, oh, well, here come the hoes, like they used to do in <laughs> Um. So the whole train out, you know what I'm saying? And he's looking at he's looking at Chuck, and he's looking at Billy. He's like, Billy, come on now, you come on now, you the <laughs> one who always gets down. There's not a girl that you would hit. come on now. And he's like, Chuck, you one of the most reputable one. You and you like them girls kind of heavy too. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know. Well, first he said the Palumbo brothers. He's like, you and you, the infamous Palumbo brother. Like, there's another Palumbo? I was like, I didn't even know there was another one. Yeah, man. They <laughs> running trains. <laughs> <laughs> That's all oh I'm thinking. Um, oh, no. I have in my notes because Godfather says, what in the hizzel is going on? <laughs> we're in peak hizzle. <laughs> we're in peak we're, hizzle. We're, we're in hizzle era. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is hizzle era. Um, Snoop introduced in 2000. 2001, we get H to the Izzo, V to the Izzo. By 2002, everyone is for shizzling. <laughs> Everybody. All white people are for shizzling from here on out. Um, Rigo pretty much excuses them. You know, says like, yo, y'all gotta get out of here. I can't believe you guys would come and bring your ladies of the night. <laughs> I love that. I love that term. <laughs> Ladies of the night to my wedding. Um, you guys gotta go. And you know what? Great moment. Godfather's always gonna get a pop. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? La- ladies always gonna get their appearance fee. Everybody wins. Um but this is this is the funniest part of the whole thing for me. Because <laughs> after God. this, Godfather comes out and then Chuck and then Chuck looks at Rico and, and, <laughs> and the, I don't even think this is obviously I don't think this was even a thing back then. Chuck literally goes, "Hey, well, first, first of all, Billy, Billy's like, I'm not gay." <laughs> he 
We got nothing wrong with gay. We got nothing against gay people. But that guy right there is not pronouncing us anything. And then you know, the funniest part about it is the crowd gives them a standing ovation for I swear to God, like a minute. <laughs> they were so happy these two people were not, they were so excited. <laughs> and now it's looking like Rico was evilly forcing them. <laughs> evilly and forcing then great men to get married. And then Chuck Palumbo, I swear to God, literally says. Ayo, <laughs> during the wedding, <laughs> first thing he said, Ayo, I'm not doing this. <laughs> oh my god, this is amazing! This is just an all time tone deaf but great WWE <laughs> segment ever. We're not gay, we got nothing against gay people, but that guy right there is not pronouncing us nothing. And again, as you said, people are standing up and applauding. <laughs> Like, yes. And Rico's like, Chuck, Billy, we had a plan here. Um, and the old guy, he's just like, man, the sanctity of marriage, you know, supposed to hold each other, whether it's 11 years, 18 months, or three minutes. Now, mind you, 12-year-old me. I didn't suspect a thing. My mind was fucking blown. This, I, mind you, I, we we, we kind of we kind of buried the lead here. This is also my twelfth birthday today. That day when this happened. <laughs> so you. This, this was a birthday surprise for me that I never thought I would ever see. But <laughs> the one year, <laughs> this is insane. Um, he goes in and he reaches down in his neck and pulls off the mask. And I'm like. Oh, literally the expression that Stephanie, they caught a great camera. They weren't able to hold it that long, but the image of um, Stephanie McMahon in the background and Eric Bischoff pulling off his mask in the foreground is incredible. Mm. Because Stephanie McMahon is selling it like a million dollars. Like, oh, shit. I didn't even realize this. Um, So he reveals himself to be Eric Bischoff. This is a dastardly plan for just something that's supposed to be like raw bread. Like imagine NBA owners going in like this, <laughs> trying to steal basketball players by disguising themselves. I, I don't know who they hired to do makeup and prosthetics that, that, that night. That is oh, some of their best work I've ever seen. I had me, and like looking back at it now, I can obviously tell it was Eric Bischoff. It sounded like Eric Bischoff. But like at the time, no, I couldn't, I I couldn't believe it. I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. Um, Eric Bischoff grabs Stephanie and restrains her. As if um, restrains her. And she's like, no! What is that? No! Um, Jamal and Rosie enter the ring, stage left, and starts beating the shit. Well, no, no, no. First of all, Rico kicks Billy Gunn in the groin. Mm-hmm. Um, then Jamal and Rosie show up and start beating the shit out of Billy and Chuck. And then, oh, this is this. Then Eric Bischoff eventually lets go of Stephanie. Jamal hoists her up on his shoulders and gives her very, you know, very safely, but hits her with a Samoan drop. And I was like, oh, we got the blood feud right here. This is how you, they don't make brand wars like this anymore. Monty, yeah. this was the week after the lesbians, right? If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> did he do the same thing to the lesbians? Days after lesbians. This was days <laughs> after lesbians. Um, so 
and he he had done this before to like Lillian Garcia and Mae Young and Mula already like this, but do this to Stephanie McMahon, the GM of Raw, as like, oh, it's personal. And then Rey Mysterio, Edge, and John Cena run out to the ring, and everyone books it. You know what I'm saying? And Kurt Angle's in the ring. He's supposed to be a heel, but he's like, yo, Stephanie's like down, and everyone's like, and I'm like, oh my god, this is this is great. One of the Survivor Series. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but instead, we get some shitty match at Unforgiven. Um, but <laughs> some weird fucking match at Unforgiven, and 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 um, and and Rikishi dressing up as a lesbian. So in case you need to do that, so in case you thought that was weird enough. Glad has a statement. Oh boy, I bet. So I found the statement from 2002. Thirteenth, <laughs> 2002. Oh, they wanted to play <laughs> the next day. They had, they had that. They had that shit drafted at midnight. They're like, "No, nah, we get this shit out." Can I? Can I read you the headline? Go ahead, read it. Glad we were lied to. <laughs> <laughs> From Scott Seoman of GLAD says, I'm going to read this entire thing. It's not that long, but I can read it all. He says, we supported the representation of Billy and Chuck, not the called-off wedding. The WWE lied to us two months ago when they promised Billy and Chuck would come out and wed on air. In fact, I was told, lied to, the day after the show was taped in Minneapolis that the wedding took place and all was well. The WWE also lied to the Today Show, the New York Times, and other media outlets. Many have contacted me to express their disdain at the WWE's unprofessional marketing machine. (laughs) Before the wedding, Billy and Chuck were welcomed departure from the stereotypical, often victimized gay wrestlers of the past. I, I don't even know. I think they're fully into this as a work because there are no at, at this point there are no like openly gay wrestlers at this time. Um and all yeah. the only gay wrestlers are ones that are acting gay like Goldust or you know or bringing in some sort of effeminate like maybe Gorgeous George or like something like that. Or like Orlando Jordan in a couple of years. He would bug it. Yeah, yeah. And s- instead of yelling anti-gay epithets at this handsome couple, audiences cheered at their engagement. Their television appearances while entertaining also enlightened viewers. Closeted gay teenagers across the country could feel less alone when they watched SmackDown, and potential gay bashers could learn that we are everywhere. Glad even congratulated Billy and Chuck on their wedding, and Matt Lawyer presented them on behalf of Glad with a gravy boat from the pottery barn for the occasion. <laughs> They were not registered there as out of sports. It was simply my idea to send them a wedding gift. Um, following the news of what really happened, we released the following statement. If their behavior is any indication, Billy and Chuck are in denial about who they are. Oh, no. The <laughs> <laughs> couple's actions of affection speak louder than the words of denial. And glad we know how hard it is for people to spot the spotlight to come out. But when Billy and Chuck are ready to let themselves be who they are, we'll be there to support them. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. It, it's a work, baby. <laughs> Yo, 
All right, there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Damn it. It's still real me. Because first, clearly this person had never watched wrestling in his life. Um, he had no idea that this is this is not real <laughs> and that these people are actors. Two, so, I mean, like, I couldn't imagine the, the head of GLAD or any kind of gay, gay kind of, like, organization almost, like, insulting was, yeah, y'all, y'all really gay. Like, y'all some real, like, y'all, y'all in denial now? Like, that's a crazy thing for a CEO or whoever he was to say <laughs> to two straight men that's that's a wild ass statement i didn't know that was the statement <laughs> i knew th- i remember them being upset i do remember that but I don't, I don't remember that statement saying that that's really funny also them calling up the next day after a tape and was like yo how did the wedding go and wwe said, <laughs> the <"It's> next lie. <laughs> i bet it did <laughs> fantastic you want they did a three point seven they did great they did great this is amazing. Um, huh. After really the SmackDown goes on just as normal, <laughs> they do a little like, yo, this happened in the last segment. I can't believe Eric Bischoff. But it goes on completely normal. You get a Tory Wilson versus Nadia match. I assume Jamie Noble is banned from ringside because he's horny as hell. Um, Tory Wilson wins with a spinning neck breaker. I always hated that was her finisher. I ain't gonna ask at this match. I was looking at watching this. That's no. all I need to see. By this point, I was already at this point. I was already over the show. Like that's all I really yeah. wanted to see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Main event: Undertaker versus Matt Hardy. Undertaker leaves his wife in the back with a book. Um, why? <laughs> why bring her? You can't even bring her to the ring. You can't ensure her safety. Yeah, what, I don't. Know. Just last year, the stalker guy was going around and harassing you and your family. You know what I'm saying? Um. And you just had Paula Heyman last year, last week, talking about your 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 pregnant wife and bringing her up in conversations. Yo, um, we, we, before we get into the match, can we talk about how horny and weird Paul Heyman was in 2002? Oh, easily, yes. Because at first, first he was stalking Lita and walking around with her panties in his hand, which is insane. <laughs> and then using, like, the threat of Brock Lesnar to, like, get away with the stuff he was saying. It's really, like, that's some... I don't know whose idea that was, but he was insanely like this weird, horny pervert. Um, I've discussed it on Twitter just how overtly sexual WWE was at this time. Like it was, yeah. I mean the Vincent, the Vincent Stacy stuff was. <laughs> I don't even know. It was a lot. We, we, they did a lot. Listen, hot lesbian actions was literally three days ago before this. Yeah, this is it was wild times, different um, times. Anyway. Matt Hardy, Ben Hardy wants to have a match. The Undertaker leaves halfway through it, as we all do during Matt Hardy matches in 2022. <laughs> um, he leaves because he sees that Paul Heyman is backstage chastising his pregnant wife. And he runs to the back, sprints all the way to the locker room, and we follow it all. I mean, he's running, the, he's showing us the way. He's like, oh, I got to turn left here. Gets in the locker room, bam, gets hit with a steel chair. Of course he does. It was a setup. Interesting that coming. And, yeah, easily. And Brock Lesnar pretty much corners pregnant Sarah and does like one of He grabs her stomach. He grabs her stomach. I look he felt like he did one of these. Like he did. <laughs> and he that's like SmackDown goes off the air. No, he was like, he was like, life's a bitch. And then, and then SmackDown goes off the air. Vince McMahon had to put his line. I know that was a Vince McMahon. <laughs> that, that was a Vince line. <laughs> that was a Vince bar for sure. Um, 
very entertaining episode of SmackDown. You can't go wrong with episode. The hit rate on WWE weddings is incredibly... It's hit or miss, but I still think overall they're entertaining, considering everybody who interrupts them. Um, again, we've had... I think last WWE wedding we had was... Uh, was it Lashley and Lana? No, no, it was Indy. Oh, it, was, it, it was in, yeah, it was Indy and uh, Dexter. Dexter, great wedding. And it was great. It was great. Listen, now the other Paul Heyman wedding, that Lana and the Lana and Lashley thing, I, I thought was a bad, you know, a bad. a bad wedding. That was a mess. Um, before we get out of here, let's uh let's read a little bit of the Observer. Let's see what the Observer has to say about some things. I'm gonna try to scan through it. Um. <laughs> We opened with the fallout from last week's HLA segment and the Billy and Chuck wedding. WWE surprisingly got some positive news coverage for being a progressive company with a breakthrough gay marriage on television and talked about how Billy and Chuck as gay characters weren't being sent out to get heat from the crowd and booze. Even Glad got involved, with their spokesmen appearing on numerous media outlets to praise WWE for the characters. Dave seems pretty surprised by this, given the fact that Billy and Chuck are absolutely designed to be played for laughs at least a number of times. Clearly. People's homophobia for heat. Um, this is the same company that gave us Goldust, whose gimmicks for years was getting the crowd to chant the F word at him while everyone acted grossed out. When they turned Goldust babyface, the first thing they did was have him cut a promo and establish he's not gay. So fans would cheer, and they indeed did. And sure that's did. pretty much what happened here. As this angle got, I mean, this is like <laughs> fourth layer homophobia that we're talking about right here. Um, as this angle blew up and got so much publicity, Billy and Chuck became the baby faces, and to blow off the wedding once again was we're not actually gay. That, as WWE, of course, expected, got the biggest pop of the night, and the show ended without promised wedding. Um, again, glad comment, they were duped. Easily duped. Um, Dave talks about then on Raw the other story, the lesbians. This didn't get nearly as much mainstream coverage as Billy and Chuck did, but it was (laughs) controversial. TNN executive vice president Diana Rabina stated publicly that they had concerns about the segment and had WWE talk about it after the fact. Instead of shying away from the angle, WWE is moving forward with it, even releasing two images on their website for HLA t-shirt designs. One of them was a silhouette of two women with HLA. The other was a little less subtle with a cartoon of a tongue on a red box. Wow. Um, on WWE Confidential, Vince McMahon addressed the controversy by saying that the women in their underwear was fine, but perhaps making out and rubbing on each other was a bit much. Speaking of Vince, Dave says he looks at the stress of the business declining as gotten badly since he was last on television and he looks haggard. The kissing and rubbing was edited off the show by almost all of WWE's broadcast partners outside of the U.S. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's not on Peacock. I'm going to ask, is it on Peacock? I don't think it's on Peacock. Um, I think it be. But otherwise, he defended the entire thing, saying their goal is to shock people. And he didn't understand that anyone would think the lesbian angle was a desperate ratings grab, claiming that everyone in TV pulls stunts for ratings sometimes. For what it's worth, it didn't work. In fact, after the lesbian segment, ratings plummeted for the main event like never before. People stuck around for the lesbians. (laughs) In record numbers after. Interesting. Um, People were here for the the lesbians. Um, That episode, Raw did its second lowest rating in four years. That's what they Uh, deserve. (laughs) They deserve that. (laughs) 
They absolutely deserve it. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to see. Da, 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 da. TNA appears to be getting an influx of new money because they've increased their budget significantly for the 918 show and they're planning on bringing in bigger name stars. Nice. Scott Hall, X Pac, Marcus Bagwell, and Road Dog are all supposed to be there, along with NASCAR driver Hermie Sadler and Saved by the Bell star Dustin Diamond. Um, hmm. um is that his real name? Yes, it's that can't Dustin. be. Is it really Dustin Diamond? It is Dustin. Isn't like a stage Diamond. name? That's a wrestler name if I've ever heard one, man. Fire. Um, Bradshaw gets injured. He's going to be out for six months. He eventually does return after this and just appears on SmackDown and they reunite the APA in 2003. Um, WWE seems to have interest in Nathan Jones now that it looks like his legal issues in Australia, but we clear it up. He's likely to be sent to OVW first because he's nowhere near ready yet. Listen, he's never near ready uh, <laughs> at any point. Um, Let's see. Backstage issues between management and the Un-Americans group. Uh, pretty much they don't want to do this shit anymore. Um, let's see. Du, 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 du. I'm trying to see other notes. Let's look at another week. 23. Du, du, du. I'll leave it there. I don't want to get into... To, 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 um, Unforgiven 2002. I can do that next episode whenever we get there. But um, this was great. <laughs> it was a really this, fun episode. This was a fun episode. This was a fun. I'm I'm glad that we did this. Um, I'm glad we're able to take a look at how the world has changed so much since 20, 2002. Um. Thank you, Quan, for joining. Of course, you can always listen to him on the War Report every week. Glad got to take a break from AEW and NXT to kind of talk about um, everything that's going on in 2002 WWE and share your thoughts to the world. Um, yeah. It was fun. This episode, so this will be the last episode for a couple of weeks. We're going to take a break. Can't do five, uh, literally. So we have about, I think, about four or five episodes left before we hit the end of the draft diaries. Um, the next episode will indeed be Survivor Series 2002. Ooh. It's a, a banger. It's a banger. There's got a lot of stuff on it. So next one will be Survivor Series 2002. So until then, which will be announced sometime, make sure you guys follow the Patreon and everything, you know, the A-Show on Twitter and all this other stuff. Until then, we'll see you guys next time. And take care.